Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where the floor is lava. And and the air. The air is also lava. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. So standing on this desk chair isn't going to save me? Uh, no, we're, we're definitely buried under like 10 feet of ash. Well, nuts. to that yeah I, I made a few changes it almost felt like you were stalling actually writing your notes but i respect the artistry you know i do i get like halfway through my notes and i'm like god i can't leave the cold open for last because i will not have the brain energy remaining to write the cold open after the episode so there's usually a point like halfway through the episode where i'll drop everything and like try and write the cold open fair enough we're even more off subject before we've even started. The floor is lava? The floor is lava. And so is... I don't know where I'm even going with that. We're going to talk about Mount Vesuvius. Um, and I'm going to tell you why we're going to talk about Mount Vesuvius. It's because a couple months ago, I saw a TikTok about a city on called Herculaneum, which I never heard of before. And it's Pompeii, but cooler. Uh, so we're going to talk about Mount Vesuvius. Uh, and hat tip to at Spooky Science on TikTok. She's got a whole series on this. It's very fascinating. I'm going to touch on a lot of it, but I probably missed some stuff that she talked about. So like, go watch it. It's cool. I still don't, don't laugh have at me. A, no, I still don't have a TikTok. Um. I, I internally want to die whenever I say the words, I saw a TikTok. Because <laughs> I know it makes me sound... Like, I'm a 40-year-old trying to be hip and cool. I get most of my TikToks secondhand from you and Sadie, and also people reposting them on uh, Instagram, so. Yeah, not bad. Honestly, like, TikTok is such a terror. Like, I, you sent me the picture earlier, or the picture, the video earlier, it was like four minutes of woman, a woman speaking in tongue, mm-hmm. tongues, and like, I would never watch a four-minute video, but I will watch 41-minute videos um, <laughs> right I mean, in a row. The, totally the, fine. The reason I I don't have have a TikTok is because um, I don't listen to videos with sound. And see, that's the cool thing about TikTok is at least if you get the pe- like obviously there's the sound memes or whatever, but a lot of people will just like caption their videos. Yes, and I always like when I come across a video when I'm scrolling through Facebook endlessly because that's where I watch my dumb videos because I like watching those like life hack ones i think we've had this discussion before i like very stupid videos <laughs> anyway so uh mountain it god <sighs> yeah let's let's um go through my sources real quick i got a lot of them um wikipedia forbes live science bbc bbc smithsonian mag national geographic all that's interesting atlas obscura sapiens magazine and unesco and the aforementioned spooky science god it's nice to have a a topic that actually has a bunch of legit sources. Actual, like, people writing legit articles. Yes. It, it was surprisingly difficult to find, because a lot of, like, I searched Mount Vesuvius, and there was, like, one recent thing that, like, a study that was published, and all the articles were about this one recent study, and I'm like, I need more of a narrative than this. <laughs> so that's why I have so many, is, like, I gotta cobble together all the details from different places, but... I, I will say no shortage of, shortage of sources, so can't complain. So, <laughs> Mount Vesuvius. 
Uh, it's located just outside the city of Naples in southern Italy, and it is the only active volcano on mainland Europe. Uh, you may know it from that terrible movie Kit Harrington did, or hey, the Suki hey, Stevens hey, song, <laughs> which hey. stuck in my head all week. That movie was fine. <laughs> you know, I, while procrastinating on writing this episode, I did watch the trailer and read the Wikipedia synopsis for Pompeii, just because I wanted to see what it was about. And I could see myself, like, enjoying the hell out of that. I love a good, dumb disaster movie. I saw it in theaters the day it came out. That doesn't surprise me. It was a fate. Well, I'm still In fact, like, <laughs> I knew when I wrote that joke, I was like, I, wa- I wonder if Emily ever went to see that. And then I thought, I of course she it. saw it. Like, I didn't even have to ask. Like, I just knew. I've seen dumber movies for people. I sat through that Chris Pine train movie where the, the whole Chris plot- Pine train movie is awesome. I hated it. <laughs> what watched- is there not to like about the Chris Pine train movie? He's very cute, and there's a train. Okay, Joe Biden. I I watched John Carter. I bought John Carter. So Oh, that's sad. That's just sad. They tried something, and everyone seems to forget that Brian Cranston was also in that movie and deserves just as much of your whatever. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so Mount Vesuvius is, of course, most famous for destroying the city of Pompeii in 79 79- 79 AD, uh, but it has, in fact, erupted many, many times since and before, uh, including an eruption as recently as 1944. Recently. Uh, I guess in the grand, I guess in the grand scheme of the history of the world, that's pretty recently. Uh, so it is classified as a complex stratovolcano, which is just a f- fancy way of saying it's like conical in shape. It's like a big, you know, trying round. The it's three shaped triangles. like a volcano. A cone. A cone, Um, wow. (laughs) Yeah, like a volcano you would build in science class that you put baking powder in, or baking, yeah, baking powder and vinegar in. Like that. Baking soda. You know, I live, like, half half a mile away from a volcano. It's not active. Yeah, thank God. (laughs) I mean, we did have Mount St. Helens not too long ago. I mean, what I've learned from this is that volcanoes, not great. No. Um, so, anyway, so stratovolcanoes specifically, conical in shape, uh, and known for their particularly violent and explosive eruptions. The bad kind. So, geologically, Vesuvius and other volcanoes in the Campanian region of Italy, they sit on a tectonic boundary between the African and Eurasian plates. And, you know, tectonic plates constantly shifting and moving against each other. Vesuvius in particular. Oh, we'll do a mini on plate tectonics. Stop saying it. <laughs> I'm not doing a video. I am not going to do a mini on plate tectonics. Then go read the Wikipedia article. It's not that interesting. (laughs) It's exactly the kind of reaction I wanted. So Vesuvius in particular is situated directly on top of a tear in the African plate, which is known as a slab window, which just makes me think of meat. Uh, But through this window, heat from the Earth's mantle is like melting the rock of the African plate. So it's like constantly building up this pressure that, you know, eventually will explode. Uh, It is considered to be one of the most dangerous volcanoes in the world. Uh, No thanks in part to its proximity to Naples. It's only like eight miles away. Very close. Um, So throughout the last couple millennia, Vesuvius has erupted about once every 20 years or so. Um, And for anyone keeping track, it's been 77 years since the last eruption. 
Yeah, they have that little plaque in the break room at, at Vesuvius. Been 77 years since my last since our last explosion. Yes. I was trying to think of the the word they used in Loki for a like a destructive event that it was Pompeii. Yeah, I know, but they had a word for it. And anyway, I had a joke lined up. Apocalypse. That I, mm, no, it was. It's not important. It's not going to be funny anymore. Okay, I'll drop it. Nexus event. Yes, there you go. It's been seventy-seven years since our last Nexus event. Speaking of Nexus events, uh, mm. much of what we know about the timeline of the 79 Ooh. AD eruption comes from letters written by Plenty the Younger uh. to historian Tacitus. God, Plenty just was, fuck this whole family. Plenty was 18 at the time of the eruption and the only eyewitness to leave a surviving document, uh, though his account was written nearly 25 years after the event. Uh, as Emily has already exclaimed, um, yes, that Pliny. Actually, no. Not that Pliny. He was 18 years old when he wrote it, but it happened 25 was, years ago. He was 18 years old when the okay. volcano okay. erupted. The documents that, like, tell the story from his point of view, he wrote 25 years after. Okay, that makes yeah. more sense than the thing I yes. thought you said. <laughs> uh, so, as I said, if the name rings a bell, he is not that Pliny. Uh, he's actually the nephew of Pliny the Elder, hence the younger. Uh, and if you don't remember Pliny the Elder, he is the guy who read one description of a rhinoceros and decided it was definitely a unicorn. I imagine Pliny the Elder and Pliny the Younger to have kind of a Rick and Morty relationship. <laughs> I do get that impression. Yeah. Uh, so along with his mother, um, Pliny the Younger, who he's going to be the Pliny in the story, and I will... Note when it is Plenty the Elder I'm talking about. You'll know when it's Plenty the Elder. <laughs> so they were saying in Mycenae, which is just across the bay from Vesuvius in the city of Pompeii. So his uncle, of course, the famous Plenty the Elder, was serving there as commander of the Roman fleet. Uh, the region around Vesuvius had been experiencing like some minor tremors in the days leading up to the eruption, but no one had really paid them any mind because earthquakes were just kind of a thing. Like, it was just... It was not rare for just a kind of a small, kind of little rumbly little earthquake to hit the region. It's like living in um, Southern California. Yeah. And people also, they hadn't, they didn't know and hadn't made the connection between tectonic activity and volcanic eruptions. Like it wouldn't have occurred to them. Would have that, been fucking wild if it had. <laughs> yeah. That earthquakes were, you know, an omen, as we'll say. <laughs> so... In the household of Plenty the Elder, it was actually uh, Plenty the Younger's mother who first noticed that something was amiss. So she brought her brother's attention to a strange cloud that had appeared above the volcano. <laughs> uh, Plenty the Younger would later describe it as not dissimilar from a Mediterranean pine. So like a very high tree, he, he wrote, the cloud went high and expanded in different branches, sometimes white, sometimes dark, and stained by the sustained sand and ashes. All right. So what they were seeing, of course, was the eruption of Vesuvius. I mean, even today, the, we refer to this kind of eruption as a Plenian eruption. So the, you know, the big giant Great. column of smoke that goes into the sky. Well, column of molten rock, pumice, and ash is what it really was. Uh, and in the case of Vesuvius, it extended um, at least 21 miles into the air, which is Jesus. very high. Uh, and it sent so much volcanic debris into the stratosphere that it would eventually block out the sun. Well, that's not great. <laughs> it's kind of grim. And you can imagine if you're a Roman hanging out in Italy in 79 AD, this is the end of the world. Yeah, it's 
sometimes when I'm watching, like, a recent movie or something, I'd be like, fuck, if you showed this to someone from, like, 1950, they'd shit themselves. <laughs> they would because- lose their minds. <laughs> yeah. Um, just someone from the old-timey thing seeing something that we consider very normal for the first mm-hmm. time. Hilarious to me. <laughs> but I can see where it would be very scary. So after the Plenian phase of the eruption came the Pelian phase. So this phase is when the column of debris begins to collapse and it sends avalanches of hot lava, pumice, and ash known as pyroclastic surges uh, down the mountain at speeds of upward of 60 miles an hour. God damn it. This is going to be a new thing I'm scared of now. According to archaeological surveys of the layers of ash that were left behind, like the eruption likely alternated between these two phases. So like it would erupt and then the column would collapse and there'd be pyroclastic flows and then the volcano would erupt again and then you'd get another kind of um, like phase of surges. So it did that at least six times. So it just never stops. Um, All told, the Vesuvius eruption released 100,000 times the thermal energy of the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And if you don't remember, those things fucked up Japan quite a bit. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, And it would eventually engulf many of the surrounding settlements, most notably Pompeii, Herculaneum, Opelantis, and Stabiae. Uh, while Pliny the Elder sent out, set out with a fleet of ships to evacuate the coast, or possibly just to go rescue, like, his friend, his guy, this name, um, I'm going to try and pronounce this, Senator, I had it last night, Senator Pompananius. That sounds Lots right. Lots of ends. Um, so while he went out to, you know, go rescue Pompananius, <laughs> Pliny the Younger and his mother joined other refugees fleeing inland from the city. Um, on their way, they observed the sea retreating from the shore, which is a sign that there was probably a, a minor tsunami in the Bay of Naples as the final eruption took place. Good God. <sighs> Just a lot of shit at once. <laughs> yeah, so Pliny would... Re- well, this is like full-on apocalypse stuff. Like, yeah. The sea is, is going the away. The ground is moving. The sea is leaving. There's literally just ash and fire raining down from the sky. This is... Is this... This is AD, right? AD. So, yeah. yeah. This Christianity is a thing. Like, this is not <laughs> good. Barely, but Christianity is th- is a thing. Yeah. Uh, Plenty would later write of black and horrible cr- clouds broken by sinuous shapes of flaming wind. Uh, all told, it is estimated that around 30,000 people died in the eruption. In the oh, eruption. God. Yeah. We're going to back up a bit and talk about Pompeii, because Pompeii is arguably, arguably the most famous of the cities destroyed in the eruption. I don't know if there's anyone who hasn't heard of Pompeii. So the movie opens with Kit Harington. Um, Absolutely not. Okay. (laughs) I've seen it once and it was like six years ago or longer. They can go read the Wikipedia synopsis. (laughs) That's acceptable. You don't have to watch it. There's just a lot of shirtless Kit Harington. And I feel like it's a treat for yourself if you have two hours to kill. I mean, that is a selling point, and I understand. It's I get the it. only selling point. I was surprised to see that uh, Kiefer, Su- Kiefer Sutherland was in that movie. I don't know. He doesn't always make great choices. No, it just, he seems like a weird casting choice for like he a was. period flick. Um, no, he was. And Emily Browning was also a weird choice, as much as I love her. And just everyone didn't belong in that movie. <laughs> Especially because why are all of these fucking white people in, like, that part of it? Like, there'd be some color there. People would have a tan, yeah. I don't know, maybe cast some Italians. So, (laughs) 
at the time of the eruption, Pompeii was a prosperous city uh, and home to around 20,000 people. Um, it was an important passage for goods that arrived by sea on their way to Rome, and it was also surrounded by rich agricultural land. So yeah, it had a lot of good things going for it. It's a pretty sweet um, spot. Large portions of the city had actually been destroyed and rebuilt following a minor earthquake in 62 AD. Um, it, by all accounts, it was flourishing despite the earlier disaster. There's some debate as to whether or not they were still rebuilding at the time of the eruption. Agriculturally speaking, volcanic soil is good, right? Like, it's full of... Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's, like, full of nutrients and shit. That sounds right. If we have any farmers as listeners, uh, let us know. Yeah, but it seems like, you know, most of, like, the public buildings and all of that had been rebuilt and had even be, been rebuilt better than what they were before the uh, earthquake. So It's kind of like after the Chicago fire, like, all of the infrastructure was in place, but they got to, like, build stuff better. Yeah. Got to kind of take a second chance. Yeah. <laughs> So shortly after the initial eruption, which is just just after midday, um, Pompeii, Pompeii began experiencing a rain of ash and pumice that blanketed, blanketed the town. It fell at a rate of nearly six inches an hour and would eventually accumulate to over nine feet. <laughs> Again, just raining from the sky. Uh, so this lasted about, about a day and a half. Um, and based on the number of bodies that have been found, which is just over a thousand, it is speculated that most of the citizens like escaped from Pompeii during this time. Like they saw the writing on the wall and they got the fuck out. I was going to say um, escape from Pompeii sounds like a great ride at Bush Gardens, but I literally <laughs> think I talked about it in the weird. Uh, yeah, there was a Pompeii. I think there is an escape from Pompeii ride at like SeaWorld. <laughs> of course, not everyone was able to escape from Pompeii. Um, it's possible that many of those who stayed behind did so to protect their possessions. Like, many of them were found clutching jewelry and coins or silverware. Put it in or your it's- pocket and run! <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's also simply possible that, th- that they thought the best course of action was to, like, take shelter from the ash and wait it out. They didn't know what was coming, which is a key point, I think. I mean, I guess, why are you going to assume lava... Yeah, so they would be killed in early the next day when a pyroclastic surge enveloped Pompeii just before 7 a.m. So temperatures inside the surge are estimated to have reached at least 480 degrees Fahrenheit, and any citizens unlucky, unlucky enough to be caught inside of it likely died instantly, because the heat would be so intense that the air burned their lungs and caused their muscles to contract, well, I guess which accounts that. for... We'll talk about the bodies in a bit, but kind of they're all kind of found in this like curled position, and it's because your muscles are your like, muscles nope. just did that, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, following the surge, the city was left buried under ash nearly twenty feet deep. Um, Pompeii was never rebuilt or reoccupied. Um, it wasn't completely abandoned for years. Like the way I understood it, like there was you could still see the tops of some buildings peeking out. So, like, people knew where it was, and they knew that there was shit there. So, like, thieves and looters were known to dig down into the debris in search of, like, marble statues and other treasures that have been left behind. I mean, they're clearly not using it, so. <laughs> uh, but eventually, both the name and location of the city was forgotten. As records faded, and subsequent eruption buried the site in even more layers of ash. Very good. So the first recorded, like, uncovering of any part of Pompeii, there was um, part of an aqueduct unearthed in 1592, uh, but it was only in the late 17th century that um, people found a wall inscription with the words Decurio Pompeius, which translates to 
town consul counselor of Pompeii um, and realize in like the significance of the site was realized. They kind of put two and two together and like, oh, this was a town that, you know, got wiped yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, so the first archaeological excavations of the city began in the mid 18th century and have continued into the modern day. As far as I know, they're still going on. Um, they're still kind of, you know, digging out parts of the city. Damn. Um, I thought we were like done digging old <laughs> stuff up. Nope. There's so much old stuff to dig. I picked the wrong uh, in, profession. In 1863, Italian archaeologist Giuseppe Forelli uh, <laughs> took charge of the site, and he gets a lot of credit for being the first to undertake a much more systemic, systematic approach to the excavations. Like, he was the first to introduce concepts like scientific documentation and preservation. <laughs> right. Because before that, we were just kind of. Let's go dig in the dirt and see what we find. That is one thing about, like, the mummy movies that makes me, like, twitch a little is... Cringe just a little bit. No one's taking notes. (laughs) Like, Rachel (laughs) Wise is trying, but it's mostly just people kicking in doors. Yeah. Those are uh, quote-unquote archaeologists. Brendan Fraser Uh, is a qualified archaeologist. He has been in three of those movies. Uh, so what our dear friend Giuseppe is most well-known for is creating plaster casts of Pompeii's victims that you can still see today. So during earlier excavations, like archaeologists would stumble upon these voids in the layers of ash, and each time they were found to contain human remains. So like what would happen was that whenever a corpse had been buried in ash, the cavity would remain even after the body had kind of decayed and decomposed away when you said stumbled upon i did imagine someone in like the all tan clothes with all the pockets just like tripping over something tripping over a big human-sized hole yeah just being like oh what the fuck is that so fiorelli introduced this new process where whenever one of these cavities was discovered they would pour a plaster of paris in there and leave it to harden so then they would excavate around the plaster, and that leaves this, like, haunting replica of the person at their moment of death. So that's what you'll see. Like a little statue. Yeah. And you can look at pictures. They're very much, like, they're all in the kind of general shape of people. <laughs> but, mm. of course, there there's no features, but, like, it's they're all kind of, like, frozen in time in different positions. And it's it's a little spooky. Just human-shaped blobs? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so this is actually a technique ar- archaeologists still use today. They've subbed out the plaster for clear resin, which is, like, more durable and doesn't destroy the bones. <laughs> but, like, it's it, it was a good technique back then, based on, like, what they had available, and we still kind of use it today. I just Googled this, and it's literally, like, something out of Silent Hill. I hate it. I hate it so much. Have you never seen the bodies at Pompeii before? I've actually never really looked into this that much. Yeah, it's It's spooky. <laughs> And you wow, can just go just, there and see this. Well, they have them all arranged in this big hall like it's an interpretive dance piece. It might just be the, where they were found. But I, I could be wrong. I don't know what exactly you're looking at. My understanding is that they kept them in place. But I know oh, they have moved some to, like, museums and stuff. Yeah, no, so. the, I was looking at a museum. It's okay. from an article in the New York Times. And it's just, they're all spread out on just, like, a black floor. It's very... I don't like that. Uh, So today, Pompeii is the only archaeological site in the world that provides a complete picture of an ancient Roman city. Uh, One notable feature, besides, you know, all the bodies, uh, is that the walls are covered in graffiti. I was hoping you'd talk about this. It's my favorite part. (laughs) 
One of the oldest reads, Gaius Pumidius Defilius was here. Uh, we know it's the oldest because he dated it, and it is dated October 3rd, 78 BC. Oh, it's almost the anniversary. <laughs> so a lot of the graffiti is political, as there was about to be an election at the time. Um, there's like there's some really nice stuff. One of them <laughs> reads, health to you, Victoria, wherever you are, may you sneeze sweetly. Oh, which is really sweet. Uh, uh, there's other graffiti, maybe not so nice. Um, one scrawl urges Senius to Cornelius, go hang yourself. <laughs> there's also, and this is my favorite one, in the city's brothel. One woman left graffiti behind, declaring herself Myrtis Philatris, or Myrtis Queen Philator. Man, people really haven't changed. <laughs> no. We have been the same forever. It might as well just say for a good time call IXIIV. <laughs> uh, there's one mysterious inscription uncovered in 2018, which was dated for October 17th, two months after Vesuvius was thought to erupt. Don't like that. <laughs> so the accepted date is August 24th, but actually based on like the graffiti and kind of some other stuff, it's possible that we've actually had the date wrong. I mean, it, that makes more sense. <laughs> Our only source for this date is Plenty of the Younger's letter, letters to Tacitus. And it's entirely possible that like either he got the date wrong or like the date got mistaken or lost in translation at some point. Cause you know, he wrote letters. There's no photocopies. So like when you copy the letter, it's other people just writing it down again, you know? So, like, it's possible at some point someone wrote it down wrong or someone did a typo or just didn't write clearly enough. Is it still a typo if you're handwriting it? Yes. Okay. There's other evidence just that archaeologists have found. So they found remains of autumn fruits. Uh, the debris pattern is consistent with autumn winds. And many of the victims were found to be wearing heavy clothing. So the exact date's kind of up for the debate. Up for debate. They kind of think it's probably between late august or early november so just somewhere in that range like yeah, uh, somewhere in that range okay yeah so they can't like without further documentation they can't give it an exact date but they can kind of estimate what time of year it might have been i mean it's not like someone was like oh shit and then dated it like october 3rd yeah. uh so the next town we're going to talk about is herculaneum and i had never actually heard of herculaneum before you know, I found that whole Video Cities series that was so cool. Mm -hmm. um, despite that, like, this town may actually be one of the more well-preserved towns from the 79 eruption. Ooh, how exciting. So it was smaller than Pompeii, so it was only home to about 5,000 people. Uh, but it was also much wealthier. It was a popular seaside retreat for the Roman elite. So it's where all the rich people went. Rich people from Naples. It's where they went on the weekends, I guess. It was the Italian Hamptons. <laughs> yeah. Um, so while Pompeii and many of the other cities wiped out by the eruption lay southeast of the mountain, Herculaneum was on the west side. So it this it escaped a lot of the ashfall and the initial devastation that the Plinian phase of the eruption kind of brought. Can't, I can't fucking believe we named it after him. Herculaneum? No, I, Pliny. Plenty. <laughs> we'll get back to plenty. Don't worry. Mm. We're not done with plenty yet. There's so much ash fell on Pompeii that like roofs were collapsing, but like Herculaneum got like a light dusting. So like just the way the wind patterns were, it didn't get hit by that. Just a sprinkle of ash. Yeah. So most of its citizens did evacuate regardless, which was the right call. Yeah. Uh, just 12 hours after the eruption began, Herculaneum would be hit by a series of pyroclastic surges, six in all. That would eventually bury the city under 60 feet of ash, protecting it from the looters that trashed Pompeii. So this, like, you could still kind of see Pompeii. Herculaneum was just 
fucking gone. <laughs> so, sorry if I, I missed this, but there was no lava over any of these. This is all just hot ash and rock. That Yeah. Okay. I think there's, like, an element of, like, molten rock and stuff that's... But you like you'll look at pictures of pyroclastic surges, and it's kind of just like a big gray cloud of ash. Like it's very hot inside, it's very hot, and but it's not yeah. like liquid magma, right? And it moves a lot faster. Like lava, you can kind of outrun lava. You can't un- outrun a pyroclastic surge. I mean, not according to Paul W. S. Anderson. You can't. <laughs> So, due to the proximity to the volcano, the pyroclastic surges that flowed through Herculaneum um, were traveling much faster, and they also burned hotter than those that hit Pompeii. So, the ones that hit Pompeii were about 60 miles an hour. Uh, the ones that hit Herculaneum probably hit it at, like, 100 miles an hour. And they kind of clocked the temperature to be between 400 and 900 degrees. Oh, absolutely not. Yep. <laughs> While most of the city's residents had fled before the city was ultimately engulfed, uh, archaeologists have discovered the bodies of at least 340 people who had huddled together in the town's beachside boathouses. So the bodies in the boathouses are mostly women and children, so it's speculated that they took cover there as the men worked to arrange a seaward evacuation. So they were trying to get out. They just couldn't, couldn't I mean, quite hard. do it fast enough. Um, one of the other um, things that might have been part of that was most of the remains showed signs of hard labor so it's believed many of them may have been slaves or may have been slaves at some point in time very cool so like the rich people probably got the fuck out but you know it's like the titanic yeah it's harder to get out when you like don't have a horse or what are you gonna like where are you gonna go like it's harder to evacuate when you're just you know economically disadvantaged yeah yes uh, so unlike the plaster casts you'll see in Pompeii, the remains uncovered in Herculaneum are just straight up skeletons. It's really just a, like you can Google pictures of the boathouses. It's kind of just a big pile of skeletons <laughs> and it's very grim. I mean, I can, I'm picturing it, but also I know the way I'm picturing it is not correct. Probably not. I mean, they're all kind of like, I'll send you a picture because you got to see this. Bum, bum, bum. So while you're looking at that, just. We're going to talk about how they possibly could have died, you know, besides the obvious, which is the volcano. <laughs> uh, so the the dominant theory, and this was first proposed in 2001, is that instead of suffocating in ash, which, to be fair, would have been pretty bad regardless, um, it's speculated that the victims at Herculaneum were likely killed instantly by the heat of the surge, which would have been intense enough to literally boil their blood and cause their skulls to explode. I was going to guess death by cop. (laughs) Uh, It is incredibly gruesome, but at least it would have been quick. Like, I feel like the whole lead up to your death is probably not a good time. But at least when you go, you kind of go quick. That certainly is a big pile of skeletons. It is indeed a big pile of skeletons. It's, it's, the spines are giving me particular trouble. (laughs) It's not like, I think spine is the scariest bone in the body. I don't. I can't back that up, but it's not like the catacombs where everything's kind of stacked artfully. This is just literally a pile of bodies. Mm -hmm. Wow. Hate that. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So the victims in Pompeii, they also likely died from heat shock. But as I mentioned, because the city was farther away, like the heat wouldn't have been quite so intense. Um, It's It's not the heat that gets you. It's the humidity. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's the humidity. Or the ash. (laughs) Um, It would also explain why, like, 
if you'll notice from the big pile of skeletons, the victims, Her- the victims in Herculaneum aren't curled up in the same sort of position as their counterparts in Pompeii. And it's likely their muscles were burned to ash before they had time to contract. God so damn they- it. Why are you doing this? It's going to get worse. I'm sorry. Actually, I probably should have given like a trigger warning. If you're like squeamish, like maybe skip this whole part. Yeah, you've already told them that their muscles burn to ash. I think it's a little late for trigger warnings. Sorry. This theory has been met with some skepticism. Um, as some have pointed out, bodies that have been cremated at fire, far higher temperatures for much longer, um, they don't explode <laughs> or vaporize necessarily. Um, so there's a much more recent study that was actually published just last year that posits that the bodies at Herculaneum, and this is also not great, but it's possible they may have been baked as opposed to burned. Like a low and slow as opposed to broil. I, I'm, I'm fuzzy on exactly what, how they figured this out, but the exact, more or less, they look, looked at the quality of collagen in the rib bones of a bunch of the victims, and they mm-hmm. found like they didn't see the level of damage to the collagen one would expect when exposed from to extremely high temperatures. So it's, it's less of a cremation and more of when you're at a luau and they bury the pig in the hot sand and it just kind of slowly breaks yeah. down. Yeah, so the, right. essentially the theory is that instead of like being hit directly by this wave of heat, they were kind of protected a bit. Well, protected is... Yeah, protected's not a great word. Like the rifts in the walls of the boathouse would have given them some protection, like not enough for them to stay alive, just so that like they wouldn't have been instantly killed by the surge. The surge would have heated the air around them. Kind of like an oven. It's, yeah, it's stone buildings. They were in yeah. a giant pizza oven. Yeah. So like I said, very unpleasant. Uh, researchers of this is a different study, but they took a look. They found this one particular victim. He wasn't in the boathouses. He was kind of separate from this group of bodies. But just this was really bad, so I had to put it in. Um, <laughs> they found a substance resembling glass shards inside this guy's skull. Um, and <sighs> the hypothesis being that these glass shards were very likely once the victim's brain tissue. So apparently, this is a fun thing I've learned, tissue can turn to glass through this process called vitrification. So like any, not just tissue necessarily, any material, if you kind of heat it until it liquefies and then you cool it really fast, it can cool into glass. Well, that's very interesting. (laughs) So that's a fun thing I've learned. Uh, Charred wood found nearby suggests the temperatures in that building could have reached as high as 960 degrees, 968 degrees Fahrenheit. That's a good pizza cooking temperature, not necessarily a person temperature. No, no, it's all very gruesome. It'll get you those crisp edges. It does sound like a lovely place to visit. So the ruins are best known for their preserved frescoes and mosaics. Like you can look, you can basically like walk through the city and it's like people have never left. Um, you know, except for the skeletons. <laughs> I mean, they didn't uh, leave. They're still there. Um, Herculaneum is also really well known for ha- this massive library that was found. And they inside, they found these hundreds of handwritten papyrus scrolls. Not burnt? We'll get there. So it's hmm. the only known ancient library to have survived along with its books. The scrolls were carbonized. Like, to the point, they were initially mistaken for lumps of coal or burnt logs. But they also, like... It was just kind of the outside of them. So, like, people have been trying to unroll them since they were discovered in, I think, like, the mid-17th, mid-18th century. Sorry. That's got to be the most 
butt-clenchingly tense day at work. <laughs> so this guy, his name is Father Antonio Piaggio. He was a conservative from the Vatican. He actually, like, devised a machine that would unroll the scrolls for them. Did you say conservator or conservative? Conservator. Okay. I mean, both are probably true, but... (laughs) (laughs) The first one they unrolled took nearly four years. That's how unslowly they were unrolling these scrolls. Unfortunately, the fragments left behind from these scrolls kind of have a tendency to disintegrate. They're pretty hard to read. They are technically surviving, but they are, you know... They're in bad shape. Uh, more recently, researchers have developed new methods to read the scrolls, which like include multispectral imaging and like placing them in a CT scanner. So now they can read the scrolls. They've figured out ways, and that's pretty cool, to like read the scrolls without having to unroll them, so they can actually kind of preserve them a little better. But it's it's cool that they like can actually still read them. Yeah, I man, science, <laughs> right? Wow, <laughs> I just wow. Uh, So lastly, I want to touch on the study of Stabiae. It is most famous for its stunning Roman villas, but the reason I want to talk about it is because it is where Pliny the Elder met his end. Go ahead. (laughs) As I remember, when we last saw old Pliny, uh, (laughs) he was launching a rescue mission from Mycenaeum. So according to legend, his ship... As his ship began to approach Herculaneum, the helmsman advised turning back only for Pliny to insist on forging on ahead, as one does... Uh, stating most dramatically that fortune favors the bold. This fucking man, like the amount of confidence that he has that is unearned. <laughs> so they were able to reach Stabiae and they even found a uh, good old Senator Pompanianus. Oh, good. But uh, high winds prevented them from leaving right away. So they were forced to shelter instead inside a building in Stabiae. Um, as they later, as they returned to the beach, Plenty, who was already suffering probably from some unknown respiratory ailment, he became completely overwhelmed. He had to sit down, and once he sat down, he could not get up again. I've uh, and the before. rest of the party was forced to leave him behind. Uh, so Plenty the Younger, he later suggested in his letters to Tacitus that um, Plenty the Elder's death could have been blamed, and like his theory was like. There was a burst of sulfurous gas that overcame the group, but given Gestabiae's distance from the vent of the volcano and the fact that no one else seemed to have an issue except for Plenty, it's far more likely uh, he died from some other cause, either like a stroke or heart attack or possibly even like an asthma attack. I mean, can't imagine the air quality was great. Well, and and he wasn't a young man at the time. No, he was Plenty the Elder. Yeah, so it it makes sense. I'm just, I didn't factor in the sulfur element of it. And just the smell. Yep, just rotten eggs. Uh, So they were able to recover his body the next day. He had suffered no other apparent injuries. And that was how Plenty the Elder died. He probably just inhaled something and... I mean, his lungs were not great because it was... Yeah, it sounds like he wasn't in great health and... You know, probably just overexerted himself to some degree. Yeah. I mean, he was doing a lot of movement, trying to get away. Like, it all checks out. <laughs> I, I just thought he'd go down, like, trying to ride a rhino or something. <laughs> I was, pl- I had no idea Plenty the Elder was part of the story. And I was like, oh, interesting. He, like, observed Pompeii. That's he something he actually saw. And then I was like, oh, oh, wait, you're telling me he died? <laughs> Wow. Like a famous person. You don't think about that they would have died in a famous disaster like that, but 
They did. Pliny the Elder is the king of, let's make this about me, because he pops up so often. <laughs> he certainly is prolific. Um, that's that's all I've got. I wanted to end on the death of Pliny the Elder for as well we some sh- unknown reason. <laughs> no, that was very interesting. Like like I said, I hadn't I hadn't looked into to Pompeii that that extensively. Um, Neither have I, honestly. Like I know I've known about it, obviously, but never done any research into it. Never heard of Herculaneum. It's all very interesting, and we'll put a lot of pictures in the slideshow of you know spooky skeletons. There's a lot of um. We do a lot of <laughs> shows about dead bodies. I mean, hence my original call open about I can't remember what it was about anymore, but it was skeleton related. Dead bodies were involved. I hope to make it to Pompeii sometime. Someday. I'd like to visit a lot of the cities in the area. It sounds like a, just a cool Yeah, I had cool always just assumed that like a big wave of lava washed over the town, and I realize now that I'm saying it out loud to another human being how dumb that is. <laughs> I mean, that is what we're kind of taught that volcanoes do. Well, and that's also what happened at the end of the movie. Yeah, well. Because the big surprise, that movie ends with everybody dying. <laughs> It's it's literally ancient Rome, like ancient Italian Titanic. Except, I mean, <laughs> to be fair, that seems tr- I will, I'm not going to say true to life because obviously, like people made it out of Pompeii just fine. But well, maybe not just fine. There was probably some residual PTSD. I mean, probably a little bit. I'm looking at pictures from Pompeii. God, it's nuts! Are, this is, is not going to give you nightmares insane. tonight. I can't believe you've never seen the body. I'm very, like, I'm not saying that to, like, I think it's very cool that you're, like, getting to discover this for the first time. Yeah, I don't know if this is something I necessarily wanted to discover on an edible, (laughs) but. (laughs) I almost warned you when you told me you were going to take one. I was like, this could be pretty intense subject matter for that, but go right ahead. (laughs) I mean, it could have, I could have chosen a worse episode. (laughs) This is true. I could have chosen when I was having to present information on, so this is fine. <laughs> but that was very interesting, and now I have stuff to, to Google later. Enjoy that nightmare rabbit hole. At the, yeah, the pile of bodies. Actually, no. I'm going to say that the thing about this episode that is going to haunt me in the night times is the glass shards of brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one got me too. Because that is not a thing that I knew the human body could do. Nope, nope. Pretty Ugh. grim. Um, if you need to clean your brain of anything and you have HBO, um, there's a series called like World of Calm, where each episode is a different subject matter narrated by a relaxing celebrity. So there's one about Coral Reeves narrated by Lucy Liu. uh, But then there's also one about glass blowing narrated by Zoe Kravitz. I could watch glass blowing all day. I could listen to Zoe Kravitz all day. So... Yeah, that's nice. I, I like watching glass blowing. Not that, like, not game show, reality show, competition show about glass blowing because they managed to take something so chill and make it that very That should be, stressful. like, relaxing and satisfying to watch. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not how you do it. Um, have you been to Seattle? I am not. Uh, if you go, you need to check out the Chihuly Museum. Yes. He had, there was some of his art on display in Denver once when I was... I think that was, yeah, um, when I went to visit my brother. We went to the Botanic Gardens with my sister-in-law, and they had some stuff on display. It was awesome. And she talked about the museum in Seattle. She was like, oh, I've seen this before. It's so cool. 
Yeah, I took my grandma there a couple years ago, and it's it's insane. Yeah, just full room installations of glass. I mean, I was tense the entire time I was in there because I was like, "Don't breathe <laughs> Don't on anything, anything wrong." <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's see. I have to do the end thing, and I have to remember what goes in the end thing. Um, so we are on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoonified. Uh, we have our website, goodafternoonified.com, where you can buy merch. You can send us an email. You can also send us an email at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Good lord, this was a mistake. I made a mistake. <laughs> uh, rate, review, subscribe, you know, yes. all that. Tell a friend. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and we'll see you next time. Maybe with less dead bodies, probably not. No, never. Actually, no, definitely not. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Just kidding, it's actually me, Avalon, the host of Boohaha, which is a thing that I do, a podcast, if you will, that happens some weeks, not all. Don't wait up, it's fine, we'll call you. Shut up. Anyway, it's about ghosts and tangents. Mostly tangents, if I'm being entirely honest. So join me each and every week-ish as I gather the funniest people I know to a campfire that I build in my living room and then regale them with spooky tales of boogans and googas. Oh, also, it's a comedy podcast, if that wasn't clear from the vibe, you know. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.